much, Olivia. <coughs> it was awful nice of you uh, to do what you did for us. Um, I, I have to tell you, we're enjoying being here. We're enjoying getting to know you. I think you're a great church. I, I really think that there's tremendous potential in this church. And uh, I'm really looking forward to see who the Lord brings here and uh, to to see what's going to happen in the future. So we're privileged, actually, to uh, be able to serve in the capacity uh, that we are. So thank you. Uh, we're thinking together as a church these days uh, about what God has revealed in the Bible about the future. Um, we all have a past and we all have a future, and God has chosen to reveal a number of things, especially surrounding the second coming of Jesus or the return of Jesus. And I want to suggest to you this morning that when we uh, as people embrace with our hearts a biblical worldview, a biblical worldview, and we understand what's going on from a biblical point of view, uh, our lives begin to fill with hope because God has made some fantastic promises about the future and he's made them to us. And so when we embrace those, uh, hope rises uh, within us. And so we've chosen this passage of scripture in Romans chapter 15 as kind of a theme verse. Uh, and now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. Uh, I love that, right? Hope produces joy and peace in our life. When we are hopeful people, when we are optimistic about what's coming down the pike, and, and because God has promised it, we're confident about it. Uh, our lives begin to uh, take on more joy and more peace in the midst of uh, whatever is, is going on in our world. Uh, may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace in believing. Now here's the cool thing about the Bible that, you know, I, I don't know if you realize this, but in the world we live in, uh, there's a saying, right? Seeing is believing. That's how the world looks at it. Once I see it, maybe I'll believe it. The Bible says believing is seeing. Once you believe it, you'll see it. Once you choose to believe God and take him at his word, his spirit will get inside of you and you'll begin to see truth. Uh, you'll be able to see it. So, you know, this theme verse, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. So that, right, uh, the power of the Holy Spirit may cause you to abound in hope. And so that's where we're going, and that's what we've been thinking about. And I'd like to kind of continue on today. Um, a biblical worldview, I want to suggest to you this morning, uh, also enables us to interpret current events, especially what's going on in Israel. Second uh, Timothy 3, you know, talks about the fact that all Scripture, Old and New Testament, is God-breathed written by different people, but breathed out by God. And uh, so a biblical worldview, you know, is a radical thing. Um, you remember when we first started this study, we said what we're going to do is we're going to study First and Second Thessalonians. We're going to go through those books, and we're going to exegete them, and we're going to pull out of them, you know, and then from other scriptures support those. And, uh, you know, I suggested that out of all the different churches that are mentioned in the New Testament, the church at Thessalonica was a pretty cool church. If I was looking to join a church and I had a lineup of all the churches of the New Testament, 
I would, I think, end up at Thessalonica. If I could take my computer and work from home and live wherever I wanted, uh, I would just go to Thessalonica. And uh, Paul, you know, he really liked the church at Thessalonica. And um, uh, here's what he said in in the first uh, book, uh, in the second chapter. He said, we also thank God constantly for this, that when you people received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. Paul's like, I'm so excited about this church because when they open the Bible, they don't just think, you know, this is something that we can just toss around and debate and everybody's opinion matters. No, we understand that this is God speaking and we want to hear what God is actually saying. We don't want to put our confidence in the words of people. We want to put our confidence in the word of God. And we want to understand what God is really saying to us. And so Paul was pretty excited. And, you know, the Bible is pretty unique. The Bible, unlike any other book, claims for itself that it's living, that God today still speaks to us through the scriptures. You know, the Bible was written over 1,500 years. 1,500 years. Uh, 40 different authors over those 1,500 years. Uh, It was written in different cultures, in different places, in different times, in different circumstances. It was written in three different languages. The Bible is a very unique book. Hundreds of controversial issues are addressed in the Bible. And yet the entire Bible has one theme all the way through. God's salvation of his people, right? God's salvation of the world. And that's the theme, one theme all the way through. And so Paul was so excited about this church because when the word of God came across, people embraced it and took it for what it really is, the word of God. Now, I also want to suggest to you this morning that the Bible is also a book about Israel. A majority of the Bible talks about the creation, uh, the past, and the future of the nation of Israel. There was no Israel until God came to Abraham and created a nation. Uh, And God calls Israel his chosen people. And so I'd just like you to keep that in mind. The Bible's about salvation. It's about a savior right, Uh, of the world who came from Israel, Jesus, who was born in Israel, who died in Israel, uh, who rose in Israel, who ascended from Israel, and who's coming back to Israel. And so when you think about this, it's pretty significant that we understand what God has to say uh, about Israel. And I would suggest to you, again, that our world, as uh, Mike mentioned, is increasingly moving away from a biblical worldview. Increasingly, God's word is having less and less influence, you know, and in our own country in particular, since we took the Bible out of school and, you know, all a number of different things have happened and so forth, uh, people are moving further and further away from a biblical worldview. And so we are witnessing the decline of support for Israel, which God calls the apple of his eye, the people of Israel. Now, I'm not Jewish. I'm not, you know, politically making a, a, a statement for any, anything like that. I'm just trying to get to what God has to say. 
and uh, trying to understand the rise of anti-Semitism, which started in Egypt, as you know, thousands of years ago, and uh, we see it uh, increasing today. I would say that no race of people, no religion, no nation, no ethnic group has ever experienced the continuous persecution of nations like the nation of Israel. If you study the nation of Israel's history from its inception all the way back, you know, with Abraham all the way forward, even to today, on your TVs and your family rooms today, uh, one of the great mysteries, I think, of human history is the existence of the Jewish state. Okay? Now, here's the thing. The population of Israel is one-tenth of one percent of the world's population. One-tenth of one percent of the world's population. Um, There are, in the Middle East, 400 million Arabs, okay, mostly Islamic, and there are 7.8 million Jews. 7.8 million Jews against 400 million Arabs, okay? Uh, There are 2 million square miles of land that belong to the Arabs in the Middle East. Israel, the land of Israel, is comprised of 7,900 square miles. Less than 8,000 to 2 million, about 1.3%. Excuse me. Now, uh, the passage of scripture that Bella read for, or not Bella, uh, Olivia read for us this morning from uh, Jeremiah chapter 31. uh, God says, if you want to get rid of Israel, you have to stop the sun from shining and stop the moon and the stars from giving off their light. In other words, God's telling us, here's a promise. Israel's not going any place. If you're sitting in your living room and you're saying, oh my, now this morning I heard that Iran, you know, is stepping up and threatening to get involved and we've got these different groups and so on. And you're, if you're sitting there wondering, I wonder what's going to happen. This might be the end of Israel. You don't have to worry about it until the sun stops shining, right? And the stars fall out of the heavens and the moon doesn't give its light. And, and that's going to happen, right? Because God says At the end, when Jesus comes back, the sign of his coming will be that the sun stops shining, the moon stops shining, and the stars fall out of the sky. That's an event that's actually going to happen. But Israel will exist until such a time. Because part of the reason for the Lord to come back is to redeem the nation of Israel. And so it's pretty important. Um, Maybe you remember uh, when we studied back in Exodus, we were studying Exodus, I think it's in Exodus chapter 3, you remember this, you learned it as a kid in Sunday school, Uh, Moses was wandering around the desert taking care of his father-in-law's sheep, remember? And he sees what? A burning bush, remember that? And uh, Moses is like, wow, there's a bush over there, it's burning, but it's not being consumed. And Moses is like, I gotta check that out, right? And so Moses goes over there, right? And what happens? God speaks out of the bush. Can I suggest to you that that is a symbol of Israel? That Israel is on fire and has been since its creation. And that it's uh, fed by the very enemy of God, Satan, the devil himself. 
right? Fuels, like where does all this hatred come from? Some people say, well, it's political. Some people say, well, it's economic. Some people say it's racial. Some people say this, say that. Listen, it's satanic. It has been going on for generations and generations. And it's because if Satan could have gotten rid of Israel, it could have prevented Jesus from coming, and Satan could own the world instead of us having the privilege we have of being redeemed out of the world by the blood of Jesus Christ, our Savior, who came through the nation of Israel and the promise to Abraham and so on and so forth. And so it's important. I would like to suggest to you that the burning bush is kind of a, a lesson for us to learn about Israel. It's on fire, but it's not consumed. Now, that was no natural bush. That was a bush being protected by the uh, very miraculous power of God. And Israel is the same way. By all rights, anything, that bush, right, on fire in the desert should have been annihilated. But it wasn't. Because God kept it there. And uh, I would say to you today, if you will take the time to study the nation of Israel, this bush that's on fire, um, and, and go back over its history and so forth, God will speak to you out of that bush still today. When you study the history of Israel and uh, all the wars that it has been involved in and so forth and realize that it's still here, uh, God will speak to us about its significance uh, still being with us. It's a very, uh, no, no nation has ever gone to that. No nation has ever been dispersed from, you know, uh, the Romans in A.D. 70 destroyed Jerusalem and the people were scattered and never came back together again until 1948. That has never happened to any other group of people. Reconstituted as the, as the nation of Israel, as the people of God. So when Moses turned aside to check out that bush, um, I would say, so today, if you're willing, uh, you can kind of ask the question, what's with Israel and try to figure it out, and God will speak to us today. I believe that he has Israel in our lives and on our TVs, just like he had the burning bush out there for Moses, so he's got Israel for us to look at and to say, there's something unusual going on here. This is not normal. You know, This is something extremely unusual, miraculous even, and uh, draws to himself uh, through that nation. He still speaks. And so in the book of Daniel, in the Old Testament, um, we have what's often called the backbone of prophecy, of God's revelation to us about the future. And uh, even Jesus refers to Daniel's writing. In uh, Matthew chapter 24, you can read, Jesus talks about you know, uh, what Daniel had written down. And so in 605 BC, 600 years before Christmas, before Jesus came into the world, 600 years before all that, God uh, used Babylon, you remember, uh, to come and to capture Israel and to deport the Israelis into Babylonia. Babylon is modern day Iraq. That's where Babylon uh, was located. And, uh, you know, these people came and they hauled off uh, the Israelis to back to Babylon. Uh, because, the Bible says, of Israel's persistent sin and rejection of God's word and their refusal to repent. And so the Babylonians deported the Israelis to uh, their uh, neck of the woods and um, there was a guy by the name of Daniel who was just a teenager at the time who was caught up in that with his three friends. You're probably familiar from Sunday school, uh, the story of Daniel. 
And uh, Daniel ended up spending the rest of his life in Babylon. Most people feel he lived till about 85. Uh, the name Daniel means God is my judge. And uh, Daniel was an interesting guy. Uh, but um, Daniel uh, had an impeccable uh, character. And uh, God gave to Daniel revelations and dreams and visions. And Daniel sort of became God's mouthpiece in Babylon, both to the captured Jews and to the secular Babylonian uh, leaders, to their politicians, the king, and so forth. Uh, Jeremiah, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Ezekiel were all contemporaries of Daniel. And uh, they all um, warned the nation of Israel to repent, but Israel refused, and so uh, this was brought upon them. So Nebuchadnezzar the king has a dream, and he can't figure out what the dream meant, and nobody could figure it out for him. You can read this in Daniel's uh, account. Uh, and so God gives the revelation of the dream to Daniel, and Daniel, uh, as he reveals the dream, says, these are all the foreign nations that are going to dominate Israel over the span of its existence. And uh, Daniel chapter 2 has this colossus, this man, and he's made out of different kinds of metals all the way down to the toes, and different parts re represent different uh, secular kingdoms, different nations that come against him, uh, come against Israel, and so forth. And so when we get finally to Daniel chapter 9, uh, God gives us a chronological uh, kind of uh, prophecy, forward-looking, this is how long it's going to take for that to end. God's like, you know, disciplining his people, his chosen people, the apple of his eye. And uh, Daniel is, um, you know, like uh, reading one day, and um, Jer uh, he's reading a, a manuscript that came from Jeremiah. And while he's reading, all of a sudden uh, he reads something that, you know, just blows his mind and goes straight to his heart and he goes right to prayer to talk to God about it because he's so excited about what he's reading. And so he reads in uh, what, he re what he read is uh, in Jeremiah chapter 29 and uh, verse 10. And uh, so here's what Daniel read out of Jeremiah, right? For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon... I will visit you and I will fulfill to you the promise that I made and bring you back to Israel. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for wholeness and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Here's my plan. I want to plant a hope in my people so that they will keep moving forward and so on. And uh, you will seek me and find me, you know, when you... Seek after me with all your heart and so on. But Daniel realizes, oh my goodness, something's going to happen. We've been here in Babylon for all these years. Uh, he's in his 80s now. He's been there for like 70, almost 70 years. And he reads in Jeremiah and he takes it as the word of God. Oh my goodness, our time here in Babylon's almost up. Uh, we're almost going to, I wonder what's going to be next. And so um, Daniel uh, prays. Um, he does a little research in uh, Daniel chapter 9, and uh, he kind of figures out, wow, these 70 years are almost up. He does the math, uh, Daniel chapter 9 and verse 2. 
in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So Daniel is reading Jeremiah. Jeremiah is getting it from the Lord. I'm going to end the desolation in Babylon in 70 years. And so Daniel realizes, wow, the 70 years are almost up. Uh, He acknowledges acknowledges that uh, this is true. And so he prays. He turns to God in prayer. And in Daniel chapter 9, we have, I think, one of the greatest recorded prayers in all of Scripture. And I just want to point out a couple of things in Daniel's prayer. First of all, uh, Daniel acknowledges Israel's sin. He's, he's like, you know what? He confesses and he validates God's uh, decision to turn the Jews over for captivity to Babylon. Uh, let me just read a couple of verses here, but here's, here's what Daniel says. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes, I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant or promises and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong. And we have acted wickedly and rebelled, you know, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. Uh, To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame. Uh, as, As at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far, and all the lands in which you have driven them because of their treachery, Uh, that they've committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame. To our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed, and so on and so forth. All the way through this, Daniel is using, you'll notice, personal pronouns. Daniel identifies with the people of Israel, right? Do you know... uh, there is not one single negative thing said about Daniel in the entire Bible. Other leaders we can find, you know, they had shortcomings, right? They, they blew it here, they blew it there. Daniel, there's not one negative thing that's said about Daniel. In fact, three times uh, God says that he's greatly loved. He's greatly loved. The angel Gabriel comes to him and answers his prayer And um, in that uh, answer, you are greatly loved, and that's why I've come to answer your prayer. Not one uh, comment negative about Daniel. Uh, Nobody else in the Bible is affirmed like that. So Daniel really is a special person. And Daniel asked God, you know, well, what's going to happen next? After the 70 years here in Babylon are done, it's almost up. What's going to happen next? So while he's praying, the angel Gabriel comes. With the answer, he's in the middle of his prayer, right? And uh, while he's praying, uh, Gabriel shows up to give the answer to his prayer. Verse 21, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came in swift flight at that time of the evening, uh, at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, oh, Daniel, 
I have come out to give you insight and understanding at the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly loved, therefore consider the word and understand the vision. So the angel's like, you know, I'm here to answer your prayer. What's going to happen to Israel after the 70 years? And uh, this is where we come up with the timing of uh, what has happened and what is going to happen in the future. And so here's God's answer, uh, verse 24. If you have a Bible and you're following along, Daniel 9, 24, here's what the angel says. Seventy weeks are declared or decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression and five other things are going to happen in this time. All right, now this is a little bit difficult to understand, so uh, if you can track with me, uh, I just have to kind of turn the brain up a notch and, and try harder. Uh, but uh, the word weeks translates the Hebrew word heptads, heptads. Heptads just means seven, okay? So uh, when it says, the angel says, 70 sevens are decreed for Israel, 490 years. 70 times seven, right? 70 sevens or 490 years. In the context, it's obvious we're talking about years here, not weeks. And so um, the angel says 70 weeks, 70 heptads, 70 sevens uh, uh, are, are set out for your future. 70 sevens, 490 years. So if we knew when this started, and if we knew what the end date was, uh, we could sort of plot out history because really mankind's history revolves around Israel. This is why Israel is so important when we talk about prophecy. You know, there is a whole way of thinking. Uh, I don't embrace it, but there is a whole way of thinking that says God got so disgusted with Israel for rejecting Jesus that God's done with Israel and that the church has now taken the place of Israel and God's focus is on the church and the Jewish people are done. I don't embrace that. I don't think, I think that there are promises God's made to the people of Israel that God will fulfill in time, especially at the second coming, uh, that are yet to be. There are many prophecies about that and so on. Uh, but there are different ways of interpreting, you know, uh, what the scriptures say. And that's why I say, again, you know, it's so important that scripture be its own commentary, that various parts of scripture all need to say the same thing. There's one author. Even though it's 1,500 years, 40 different authors, there's one author. God breathed out the scriptures, and uh, there are not contradictions. So if we don't understand something exactly right, we can go to other scriptures and pull them in and come closer and closer uh, to what the truth really is. And the truth matters. And so, again, Israel is sort of the uh, time clock of what's happening uh, in our world today and what's going to happen in the future and what has happened in the past. So we have 490 years, and uh, you'll notice what it says, um, 490 years are decreed. This is God speaking. Remember, uh, Paul's so happy for the Thessalonians because they take God's word as from God. And so uh, these 490 years are decreed by God, you know, and they're about your people, Daniel. Well, Daniel's Jewish, so who is your people? It's the Jewish people. That's why Israel is so important, kind of the you know, uh, plumb line, if you will, to understand history and what's going on and this long uh, history between 
uh, God and Satan uh, and how it gets played out in our lives even up till today. So 490 years are decreed for the Jewish people. Now, when Jesus came the first time, you know, the Bible says, Galatians 4.4, that he came in the fullness of time. He came at the perfect time. God had orchestrated events. Our sovereign God had orchestrated events. The Romans were over Israel in that day, but the Romans built roads. They had a common language. And when Jesus came the first time, it was in the fullness of time. It was exactly at the time that God planned, and it was uh, to accommodate the purposes that God had for Jesus' first coming. And I would suggest to you that the second coming is exactly the same. It's a second fullness of time. And that there are a number of things that have to happen that are explained here. And when they are finished, then the Lord, everything will be set for the Lord to come back. It'll be in the fullness of time. And it's a day and an hour that only uh, God the Father knows about. And so there are six things that um, the Bible says are going to happen in this 490 years. And let's just go through them. You can read them. Uh, First of all, God's case against Israel's sin, okay, will come to an end. Uh, There'll be a new covenant. Again, Olivia read for us from Jeremiah chapter 31. There's a brand new covenant that's coming with the nation of Israel. God says, I'm not going to have the old covenant is out and the new covenant is in and the new covenant is the gospel. And there's coming a day when the Bible says all of Israel will embrace the good news of the gospel. They'll recognize that Jesus was their Messiah and they'll recognize that he is their Messiah. They will repent. They will turn to him. And uh, scripture and Ephesians and other places talk about, you know, one group of people between the church and Israel coming together, uh, one group of God's children together for eternity. So God's case against Israel will come to an end. Uh, Israel will be, um, Israel's sin will be taken away uh, because they'll turn to Christ. Lostness, the lostness of Israel will cease. Uh, God and Israel will make amends. There'll be a restoration, a healing. There'll be a relationship that develops uh, that's not there at the moment. Um, I'm not talking about individuals. I'm talking about nations, right? But the nation is made of individuals. And uh, the new covenant, Jeremiah chapter 31, God will change people from the inside out. It's no longer about you know, trying to keep the Ten Commandments and our efforts. It's about the gospel and what God has done for us. And uh, this new covenant, God will write his laws and people will want to be righteous. It's not like somebody has to hold a stick over us and say, be righteous, you know, you're God's people. No, Um, there'll be a new, just like us, we have the spirit inside of us that prompts us and, and makes us want to be righteous. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the other stuff in life will be added to you as the scriptures say. Uh, the fifth thing that'll happen is that prophecy will cease. Uh, after this, there's no more about uh, this history, this world, you know, there's new heavens, new earth. Uh, there's be heaven and hell uh, for eternity that comes after this. The prophecies will cease. And um, the Bible says the last thing that's going to happen in this period of time is uh, that God is going to anoint a most holy place. And the scriptures go on to talk about Jesus reigning over the whole world and all the nations from Israel, right? From Jerusalem in particular and so forth. So we could comment about all of those, but um, I think Gabriel, the angel, is telling Daniel there's going to be three major events in Israel's future history, the next uh, 490 years. First of all, Jerusalem's going to be rebuilt, he says. 
And uh, you can read that here. The next verse uh, after uh, verse 24 is verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and rebuild Jerusalem to the coming of, the, uh, of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks, seven sevens, 49 years. They have 490 years, the first 49 years. Uh, we know that this started in 445 B.C. You can read Nehemiah chapter 2. It talks about exactly when this uh, 490 years kicks off. And so it's kind of exciting. And then there's a second period of years that's talked about in this verse. Uh, look what it says. Then for 62 weeks, or 62 times 7, uh, the city of Jerusalem will be built with squares and a moat, and, uh, but in a troubled time. And uh, after 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and have nothing. There's a guy by the name of uh, uh, Sir Robert Anderson who wrote a book called The Coming Prince. He takes the math, does the math, and you have to remember the Jewish people use a lunar calendar, so it's a little different than ours. But accommodating all the leap years and all the numbers and everything else, he wrote a whole book about this. Uh, Exactly. Exactly, when Jesus died on the cross and Daniel says he's going to have nothing, which means, you know, to the Jew first, you know, remember? Uh, Jesus said uh, in uh, John chapter 4, the lady, the Samaritan woman, you know, uh, salvation is of the Jews. And Jesus came to the Jew first, but they rejected him. They were the ones who cried, crucify him, crucify him. You know, the Romans did it, but the Jewish people called for it and so forth, and so here's Daniel, hundreds of years before any of this goes down, and he's laying out years, and it comes right to the time when Jesus died on the cross. Some, some people have figured it right to Palm Sunday when Jesus comes riding into uh, Jerusalem on a donkey, and other people, but the point is, look, he dies, he's cut off, they kill him, and uh, he has nothing. The Jewish people as a nation, there are individuals that turn to him, but as a nation, nothing. And, uh, and then he talks about that, and um, I just think it's so important to recognize that uh, all of this happened in the 69th uh, week, if you will, of Daniel's 77s. So all of that happened, and then all of a sudden, um, you know, there are just seven years left. If we uh, agree with my understanding of what these years mean. There's one seven-year period. There's 490 years altogether, 483 years are spoken about. There's one seven-year period left. And when you might hear people talk about or you talk about the 70th week of Daniel, we're talking about that last week in which God is going to come back The Lord is going to come back. And all the things, most of the prophecies in the New Testament are about that last week, that one week. And now something happens between the 69th and the 70th week, right? And the Apostle Paul uh, calls it a mystery. Uh, He says, uh, let me just uh, read a couple of verses here. Uh, In Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 4, Uh, When you read this, this is Paul talking, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery. Whenever the Bible talks about a mystery, it's something that's been in the mind of God since the beginning, but hasn't been revealed until a certain time when God's ready to reveal it. 
So this has been a mystery. God's going to do this, but nobody knew about it until the Lord revealed it to Paul. And he talks about this in 2 Thessalonians, how what he got and what he's sharing comes directly from the Lord. And so Paul says here, he says, when you read this, uh, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations as it's now been revealed to the holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that us Gentiles, us Gentiles, are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. There's other places we could talk about this. You know, we've been grafted in. You know, Paul talks about the nation of Israel like a tree and the branches, you know, and we as Gentiles being grafted in. Let me just read one other passage uh, from Romans. Again, the mystery. It says, lest you be wise in your own conceits. Paul's talking, again, he's writing this to the Romans, uh, the Roman church, but he's talking about the Jewish people. And he says, lest you be wise in your own conceits, I want you to understand this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. The deliverer will come from Zion He will banish ungodliness from Jacob or Israel, and uh, this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. When the Lord comes back, the Jewish people are going to experience what we have through the gospel. I know my time is up, uh, so we'll stop. But uh, I just get so excited about this, that God has laid out the timing, and uh, we'll spend a little time talking about what's going to happen in that last seven years and what happens to the church. We'll talk about the rapture, you know, and we'll talk about uh, Satan having part of those seven years to intimidate the church and uh, God himself coming back the day of the Lord. We've talked about that. The second half, Jesus, if you read Matthew 24, says, you know, that this, uh, and all over the scriptures, these seven years are divided exactly in half, two equal periods right down to the day and what happens in the middle and the Antichrist and all the rest of it. We have to stop. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pause here, and I'm so thankful for Daniel and for what you were willing to reveal to him about the timing and how we can understand all the way down in 2023 uh, what's going on in our world according to a biblical worldview, that we can set events both in our personal lives and in uh, international uh, uh, news into a context in which we can understand what's going on. And uh, I pray, Father, that you would give us insight. I pray that we would be like Daniel, that you would be pleased to uh, reveal to us by the power of your spirit the truth about these passages, why you put them in the scriptures, and how they benefit our understanding, and how they cause us to embrace hope in the midst of whatever comes our way. Because you have made promises, and you do not lie. And all of those promises will someday come to fruition through Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.